and welcome to Imagine Me and You, Rikuma. I am Panda, I am your host, and I am here with my co-host, Alice. How you doing, Alice? I'm doing well. I was not prepared. I sat down and put my headphones back on, and um, the theme music was starting, so I was like, ah! <laughs> you didn't hear it, because I muted myself. But I am doing a well. Well, you see, you could have just gotten away with that, and nobody would have known. <laughs> you just told on yourself. It's true. I have told on myself for comedic effect. Your evangelical roots are showing. (laughs) We are also here with Cass. Hi, Cass. Hello, hello. And we are here for, you know, I'm going to count this as a honey ginger tea time episode. And we are talking to our new friend, Nell. Hi, Nell. Hello. I just, uh, just went out for a second, but I am back. So I'm glad I did not miss my cue. Nice. Yeah. We are here to talk to you about the Yurikuma manga in general, also Akiko Morishima in general. And my first question for you mm. is, what is your history with Yurikuma Arashi? Yeah. So my history with Yurikuma Arashi is, you know, I guess not oddly, connected to uh, Akiko Morishima and Ikuhara's works as well. Because I got into... Yuri fandom, like early 2000s, when it was it was slim pickings, especially in English. <laughs> and and through that, I was obviously introduced to Utena first and Ikuhara's other work. So when Yuri Kuma came out in, I believe, 2013, the anime came out before the manga, I had already watched Penguin Drum and Utena. And so I actually was able to follow along when Funimation was streaming it. Mm. Um, and then I... <laughs> Because I am in the Yuri fandom, it has a, it has a grip on me, <laughs> and I you know I check out new releases and things like that. I knew uh, Akiko Morishima was involved uh, with the character designs and stuff, but I didn't actually know she was doing a manga of her own uh, until I think would have been like I don't go on the boards myself, but there are like a two chan and four chan translating group that does like uh, various Yuri things, and they released the first chapter while the anime was airing, and then there was a long silence, so I ended up looking up her stuff and getting the first volume of Yuri Kuma, importing that. Yeah, the manga for Yuri Kuma started before and ended right. after the anime. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, but it was kind of mysterious. No Man's Land, I know you and I were talking about the, the light novel too, how mm-hmm. while the anime, anime was airing, the, the person who had in, in Penguin Drum Day has done some of the translating for uh, that light novel was also translating, I believe, the, the prologue of Yuri Kuma. So yeah, I think all these different tie-ins. I think that prologue is available online on yes. uh, it's uh, Should be a soft, Tumblr. softkakume.tumblr.com. Mm-hmm. But that's all I could find of the Yurikuma light novel. Unfortunately, there doesn't seem to be as much demand. But also, I mean, the Yurikuma manga was only translated pr- like just a f- few years ago a couple years ago <laughs> and and it was akiko morishimo's first uh overseas translation because the conditions of paradise came out i think mm-hmm. it was the same year but it, it was very funny to me i was like oh i'm i'm picking i have to pick up a tokyo pop title because they got <laughs> akiko morishima and it's it's yuri bear storm so I, I did i did do that i picked up the volumes even though i have mixed feelings about tokyo pop <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh Oh boy, yeah, that's a whole other podcast. Oh yeah, but (laughs) uh, yeah, the uh, Yurikuma manga was released by Tokyo Pop in 2019, and Mm -hmm. then Conditions of Paradise was 2021. So it was only last year, which is why the official translation for one chapter refers to a character as a himbo. Amazing. I don't think I've seen that. I sent a screenshot to the group chat I have with Alice and Cass. I will have That's to amazing. also send this to you. It's it is uh of course we will this will not be the first time we talk about honey and mustard from Condition no. of Paradise, but it is in that chapter in oh. a very Yuri Kuma inspired mm-hmm. part of our first time the Conditions of Paradise manga. But That's inspired. Um, yeah, so you sent in your response to the Google form saying that you wanted to talk about Akiko Morishima and her impact on the Yurikuma manga. And I believe you said something like, sorry, Ikuhara, her story now 
And I would like to know, I would like to know more about that. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, obviously I'm a, I'm a big fan of hers. Oh, sorry. I'm getting my thoughts together. No, no, no. You're good. The great thing about this being pre-recorded is that I yeah. get to edit out all of the time where we have to Hello. sit and yeah, think about awesome. things. Um, I think what, what it comes down to is I think I was, uh, when the anime for Yuri Kumarashi first aired, I think I was a little disappointed with it. Mm-hmm. And I've kind of, I've, I've typed up a little thing for myself is I think it was the approach uh, to storytelling. Those first three episodes are uh, a bit of an ask for people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I remember being really enchanted by uh, the Eureka episode, which is pretty late in two Mm-hmm. season i know i think that's like eight or something it's yeah. been a while since i have touched it again um and my feelings have changed you're actually right i just looked and it is episode eight <laughs> see that's the one that i'm super into which you know it has all of the ikuharaisms <laughs> but yeah i think a lot of it a lot of it was kind of obtuse to me and i think i mentioned in the google form that one of the things i like about the yurikuma rashi manga is having only touched uh ikohara's properties utena and penguin drum the manga is a lot more like penguin drum to me in its approach to its plot and themes whereas coming back to the yurikuma rashi anime now i think the yurikuma rashi anime is a lot more like utena in that i think you can argue that the uh, yka i'm just gonna do that yka anime and uh the utena anime they, i would say they both take place in a separate world uh with with their own rules mm-hmm. whereas i think you can make the argument that both penguin drum and the yka manga are kind of our world but with magical real realism where it kind of touches another world but isn't quite equipped with a full you know the dueling system yeah be it in yeah, in the Utena anime or, you know, the, um, oh, I wanted to say subjugation system. No, it's, uh, what is it when the, the girls exclude the ex- exclude the, the others with, yeah, the exclusion with the invisible storm. Yeah, the exclusion. Because that's like a, a, a very real thing in the Yurikuma Arashi anime. It's not mm-hmm. just a, you know, a, a template for what they are going through emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, it's similar kind of to... I know Review Starlight in Utena is, I think, the story exists for the system in Utena and the system exists for the story in Review Starlight is how I've explained it. Where the system is very, in Review Starlight, which is more of a, a coming of age story than a dismantling the power structure story. Not that, it, yeah. not, not that it can't be both. The system is very much there for the girls to work through no, their definitely. issues. And I think that that's uh, that's something that appeals to me about both Penguin Drum and the YKA manga. It was more approachable for me, um, and I think just seeing seeing having known Akiko Morishima, uh, like I had read Renai Joshika before this, as well as the Conditions of Paradise. I, I kind of fumbled through them uh, in Japanese with the help of uh, Erica Friedman's blog. So like <laughs> knowing the tropes that uh, Akiko Morishima liked and, you know, her own experiences as a queer woman that she's uh, written about. I was I was able to like more fully appreciate the Yurikuma Arashi world in the manga than I was the anime, though. I've gone back to the anime and like now that I can look at it and say, oh, so, you know, this is how the anime was doing it and how it was approaching these subjects. I, I've think i have a healthy healthier respect and i'd really like to do a full rewatch sometime mm-hmm. i will encourage anyone at any time to rewatch the yurikuma anime yeah <laughs> i uh, i just looked at the moon girl and the forest girl uh episode it's so beautifully animated oh, so, so. yeah it's, it really is it's it's shockingly good i'm gonna throw this is gonna be the dumbest thing i can possibly do because i'm going to tell on myself and how big of a weeb i am by Comparing the Yurikuma anime to another original anime production that I think I kind of recommend as a piece with it. Mm -hmm. I'm interested. Okay, this is going to be the dumbest way I can explain this, and I apologize. The themes of the Yurikuma anime are less similar to the ones explored in the manga than they are to the themes explored in Gachaman Crowds. You know what? As someone who hasn't seen Gachaman Crowds since it first aired, I think I, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. yeah I, also, that's an amazing anime. Thank it you. It really for that. is. It's it's a great show that I'm a big fan of. But the second season in particular for Crowds, mm-hmm. where they kind of literally explore the idea of reading the atmosphere. Yes. Which was like where I learned that was a cultural trope in Japan. <laughs> yeah, the cookie Oyome. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> 
I, I do not envy the Crunchyroll translators who had to work their asses off to try and explain how this series works to a Western audience. But the anime is kind of doing a more a sim- exploring themes similar to that, and the way or the place it intersects with the manga is more closely on. They're both like fundamentally about queerness and. Mm-hmm queer people's place in society, the anime is looking more in a broad sense where it's like, here is all of the social, the deeply hypocritical social pressure that these girls are standing against designed to essentially tear them apart. And the manga is doing more of a high melodrama thing. Mm-hmm. In it's very way, personal. Where, yeah. It's exploring a personal drama. I get the sense from reading uh, conditions of paradise in particular that, uh, Morishima's a lot more interested as a writer in some ways than Ikuhara is of kind of going deep into the well of like, here is a character, here is what their everyday life is like, here is what they want, here is how they, they try and get it. Mm-hmm. She really wants to kind of draw you into that. And she's, a, I think that might also be part of like why the Yurikuma manga is a lot more interested in the older characters, whereas Ikuhara is like, <laughs> laser focused on the teen girl squad <laughs> i think uh if i'm not remembering incorrectly i do believe that uh, akiko morishima has commented that a lot of that is her biases on liking to write older women yeah <laughs> that came up in the last episode because yeah. we looked through speaking again of uh, soft kakume on tumblr uh, we looked through some of their translated bits from the interviews with Ikuhara and Morishima in yeah. the Yurikuma starting guide, and she admits to having had a a bias for the Yurieka storyline. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's like once you know that, it makes everything, or not everything, but it makes a lot of things about the Yurikuma manga kind of make sense it does god it does i really do like how how intergenerational the the yuri i like the very the messed up relationship between ginko and her mom and i I know you all feel for yurika the same way i do uh, Mm -hmm. which is a weird thing to say coming off the anime uh but she is (laughs) in a bad position in the manga oh yeah it, it's partially her fault, but you know, you you, you definitely feel for them. Uh, uh, Kiko Morishim does so well with the melodrama, as you said. It's uh, it's delicious. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very. Um, it's also kind of like she takes advantage of her medium in a really well in a way that's really well thought through. Yeah, her canvas is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not only as an artist, but also as like the way the story is plotted out. Mm-hmm. The manga gets to be more of like a slow burning thing where it can it can do more in the way of actual foreshadowing. Whereas right. the anime has a lot of really clearly conveyed twists that once you've seen it, it does effectively foreshadow. Mm-hmm. But the nature mm-hmm. of the show is that it's kind of one of those shows you need to rewatch to get the full impact. Yeah. Because the first time you see it, you are going to be so confused right up until Moon Girl and Forest Girl, and then you're going to start to get it, and then it takes until the end of the series for everything to click into place. And it it does kind of create a problem of, for first-time viewers especially, the, I think I've lost more people on the first four to five episodes of the Yurikuma anime mm-hmm. than any other show I've tried to get people to watch and I'm trying to get people to watch some weird stuff with me before yeah I mean I think the fan service is like a a big problem um well to some people obviously yeah Um, like you have to have a tolerance for the fact mm -hmm. that like the show is doing that at all right I mean and the thing is like it's not like the manga doesn't do that the manga does (laughs) yeah really diegetically in a way the anime doesn't yeah there are there are panty shots in the manga The difference is, I think, that in the manga, people tend to... When you get stuff like that in the manga, one of the things about a manga is, as a medium, if you don't like what you're looking at, you can turn the page. Mm-hmm. Whereas, if you're watching an anime, unless you're watching a streaming recording, and even if you are, you're kind of trapped with whatever the director wants you to look at for 20 minutes. Right, and Ikuhara makes a really good... Ikuhara and all the other people who worked on Yurikuma. <laughs> I don't mean to just say him, but they do yeah. a really good job with, you know, towing the line between making this... I mean, they very obviously make it uncomfortable in some sequences. 
yeah, like Ginkgo having her weird moment with death. Right. But even some of the just, uh, I, I know what stood out to me and still does is just kind of some of the, the random girls uh, that yeah. have, have relationships in the school. Um, and you just kind of the, I think that I believe there is even a, a scene where it's is it life sexy who's watching yes, two of the, them. It's, it's yeah. actually my favorite like short gag in the show. Yeah, it, it's, I it's definitely it's effective. an actual important plot point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I would I, believe. I had a whole rant about this. We're not here for the ad- for the anime today. No, we'll, we'll come back and say. <laughs> oh, but that that did. Thank you for reminding me. I was going to say, um, I'm curious t- too, and I think my reaction to the manga was very different. Having uh, read a- Akiko Morishima stuff, um, I'm curious what you guys think of the way she does fan service, and not even just fan service, just sexually explicit things uh, with like conditions of paradise, because it's always felt very gentle. And that that's thing, like like even the fan service in the Yuri Kumarashi manga versus the anime, it's not as shocking to me i guess yeah it seem to be made too i would definitely agree with that it's a lot like i yeah gentle is gentle's a really good word for it it's a lot like it just sort of like it happens it's there it's gone whereas in the anime a lot of the times when fan service comes into play like it lingers and that's like you know just differences in the medium and mm-hmm. you know like you can you can breeze past a panel in a manga that like you know if i'm not interested in a panty shot of lulu i can just sort of like oh that's there and then i'm going on to the rest of the story whereas like Ikuhara has the power to make me sit and watch a right. shot of Lulu. Uh, so it definitely feels less strong by that measure. But also, uh, having read some of Conditions of Paradise, I can... Because Conditions of Paradise is uh, a lot more explicit mm-hmm. than the Yurikuma manga. And Akiko Morishima's approach to intimacy is so sweet. <laughs> And like saying that almost sounds patronizing, but I mean it like with my whole chest. It is just like so sweet and soft and nice to read. It is refreshingly organic. Mm -hmm. And I kind of felt the same thing as you felt, Hannah. It's like this is like this feels sweet. It feels normal. It doesn't feel I've read a lot of a lot of manga, but I've also read a lot of Yuri manga and Sometimes the intimacy in Yuri Manga can be weird because Yuri Manga is vast and not a monolith, but I, I never got that impression with her. This is also where I actually know we'll get there. I, I made a revelation. I had a revelation about Morishima. <gasps> Exciting. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Alice will share that later in the episode, I assume. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to say something cursed again, and I'm very sorry for, I, I didn't mean this episode. A, we, need, we always need someone in the group to say cursed things, I feel. So I'm sorry you have to bear the burden, but please, please go on. The, the cursed thing I'm about to admit is that back at the tail end of high school, I was one of those kids who actually read To Love Rue, the first step of submitting you have a problem. I have to Google this. I'm sorry. I'm not anime enough. Do not Google To Love Rue. It is a very bad, <laughs> very straight etchy manga that... Okay. Was mildly infamous because a couple of the later chapters in particular just start to verge into softcore. Mm-hmm. I was also not familiar with this. But yeah, I, I've seen, we've seen things like this. We know anime. Yes. Uh, well, now that I've brought this evil upon your house, I'm very sorry. As <laughs> someone who's familiar with kind of the forms of like teen boy bait etchy manga, I am yeah. going to say something incredibly cursed here, which is that Akiko Morishima's grasp of comic timing with erotic sequences is so good that if she wanted to, she could have done that and she would have been a master. Yeah. She I agree. I don't really think that's cursed. I think it's just like, I don't know. I don't really know what Akiko Morishima's reading preferences are, but she very much is interacting with the Yuri genre as a whole. Um, yeah. I talked before about how my, my favorite series, which I'm, I'm, praying seven seas will bring because again it is the continuation of the honey and mustard storyline that started in conditions of paradise uh, and it's a, a two volume series renai joshika and sorry i completely forgot what i was going to say um the way she deploys the fan service is very much in service of giving you impressions of characters or creating gags or creating an atmosphere of frivolousness and 
you know, kind of teenage horniness, especially yeah. in the early chapters, which is <laughs> kind of why I defend a lot of the uh, choice to do uh, Sony cheesecake shots for the spread pages. Yeah, the spread pages are a whole thing. I do remember what I was going to say, and that is, I do, she's very much um, a fan of the Yuri genre. Uh, and I remember what I was saying about the Renai Doshika, is, uh, it is a story about office women in love, which we have a lot more of now, but it, I think it came out around 2010, and her, her comments from the first volume, which I think you can see up on Okazu, was like, I really wanted to read about, you know, office women in love, but there weren't any stories about that, so I had to write it. Yep. Yeah, something that all three, uh, me, Alice, and Cass, remarked upon prior to uh, recording this episode earlier today, we all thought it was just very refreshing to read something like Conditions of Paradise, which is about adult women, even mm-hmm. though, it's like... who are literally my age. Yeah, yeah. Until I, I, I'm 31 in a couple of months, and it is kind of blowing my mind that I am now at an age where if it weren't for people like Morishima, like there would not be that many manga about people my age. That's yeah. I am I am just old enough now that I've exited Hogan's Law. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm twenty eight, so I definitely I, I, I feel you and I'm very I feel very blessed to have, you know, had Morishima for as long as I've had. Yeah. The future is here. I do think that like she's I, I kind of agree with everyone that she also deploys like her fan service in a very like gentle intimate way mm-hmm. uh, especially with her older characters it's yeah. very it's very bodice ripper <laughs> uh it's a lot more focused on without sacrificing the inherent eroticism of what's going on it's very much also like about conveying kind of a storm of emotions mm-hmm. or like a sensation of intimacy even as much or more so than it is just drawing, you know, for the sake of titillation. And I I kind of love that she's able, the fact that she is able to show that, like, that's a deliberate style choice uh, because of how differently she's able to use it in the Arikuma manga makes me, like, deeply impressed with her as a writer and as an artist. It it, it kind of blows my mind. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's, it's difficult to, most people do not have the flexibility to think of fan service as a writing choice or a thing you can use stylistically which is part of why it's so boring in a lot of shows one of the things that the intimacy in like conditions of paradise akiko morishima's other work one of the things that it actually reminded me of is the opening of the yuri kuma anime mm-hmm. i have said several times that i feel like the opening of the anime even though it does have like a lot of nudity a lot of like naked bodies kind of writhing around imagery everywhere it doesn't feel like male gaze it almost feels like teen girl gaze like gay teen girl gaze yeah that's that's a good way of putting it. it that's very much the vibe that i get from morishima's other work at least as far as i have read and i will definitely be checking out more because i did like honey and mustard which we will be talking more about (laughs) and so i'm excited that they have their own little spinoff but yeah that was uh all i had to say about that in reference to both humor and also the way that she deals with i'm going to use the term fan service even though i hate the term fan service a lot deeply passionately Mm-hmm. Thinking back to two of the works that are not actually in Conditions of Paradise, Yuri Friends and Lesbian Solo, like you can yeah. see when she's going for something fully comedic and she's very good at it. There's an extended sequence in Yuri Friends where the author and which is a about her and her friends going to a um a mildly salacious establishment together on a whim. <laughs> and her and one of her mangaka friends, who also is Yuri manga, having a a public debate as to whether or not they think black or white fishnets are better. And it is extremely funny. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like just publicly, like very weirdly passionate about this thing that doesn't matter. She's really, she is just genuinely really good at comedic timing, which is interesting because it's not something I really think of a lot of Yuri Von Kaz being great at. It's not that they're all bad at it or anything. That's, that'd be silly to say, but it's not something I really think of when I think the scene that she's she runs in. 
Yeah, no, she really, she obviously really has a passion for that. So I'm, I'm trying to think of like Yuri comedy and manga too, and them coming up blank currently. It's a good. It's point. like how do we relationship? I've heard kind of hits that vein. It's very really dramatic too, though. Yeah, I really love that series. So, <laughs> but yeah, there's really an authenticity to like the way that Morishima writes these characters. And I mean, that just comes from like, you know, being, being an openly queer woman, like, definitely, you can't really beat that when it comes to writing a story is like be writing from what is clearly like experience or close to experience, you know? Yeah, and it's like you said about the, <laughs> instead of the male gaze, the the teen girl gaze, I think a lot of uh, what, what she does is, you know, um, and a lot of anyone's art is like what what you would like to see or you know hopes that you have or fantasies mm-hmm. that are very clearly personal writing the stories you wish to see in the world of course yeah whenever she's writing something that's sort of like she's done a surprising amount of stuff that's like where she is a the story is an observation or a story from her life she does a good amount of autobiographical biographical work she has a yeah. a comic essay on her adhd which i really hope gets translated Ooh, to because i i'm not i i can't uh i, I can't read that well so i please someone trans please someone see please, i thank you. i i knew me and miss morishima had that go- mm-hmm. like i i knew there was like a kinship there and it is the the adhd yeah, and the fact that she is very public, well, she has, she became public about it is, uh, I really respect her. Yeah. I also have a gift for you guys. I'm not yeah. sure if you have seen this, but when I was looking at all of her other stuff, and this is probably a good time for me to bring up my revelation, I discovered <laughs> that uh, Utsuna actually shows up in her uh, work. Oh, I didn't know that. The work that she is involved in. What? I believe you. Yeah, go- please. Tell me more. Mm-hmm. The little bit of uh, just kind of random stuff she was doing when she was, when Anise, the magazine, was still around. Right. Involves a, kind of basically a, like, informal, back-of-the-volume style, this is my me, my dumb little comic about a thing I did. And it involves a, like, full picture of Utana and Anthe. I'm looking at it right now. That's so cool. I love her style here, too. And about how much she likes oh, from a event called oh, Taco Oh my gosh. This drawing of Utsuna and Anthe is so cute. It. It's really good. Oh my love gosh. Love the long hair, Anthe. So oh this my. is where... So my revelation about um, Akiko Morishima is that I did not know that name, but Mangadex <laughs> has 30 of her... 30 things that she is attached to as an mm-hmm. author tag. And yeah. I have read and completely read 28 of them. Oh, wow. I actually already read. The only things that I have not completed are Angel's Wings and Happy Picture Diary, which were on my to-read list on Manga Dex. Okay. I actually read all of Conditions of Paradise. I thought that I hadn't, and I went through and, and on Manga Dex and I realized that I, in fact, did a very long time ago. That's been out for a while. some of the stories. Wow. I, I'm, so I'm going to say that. something incredibly painful, Alice, oh, which is sure. I'm mad you didn't share these pages with us because I flipped ahead and she's talking about going to a convention of other people into Yuri manga and finding out that a bunch of the uh, other gay women there are also into Yaoi. Mm. And she confesses that she ships central characters from Common Rider Kuga. <laughs> and I'm just sitting here and Alice... You weren't going to tell me. I have no one to talk about my common writer interest with, and I could have shoehorned it into this podcast. It's fair. <laughs> I was very, I was very focused on the fact that she talks about the the Utsuna musical and the game. Yeah. I mean, sorry, the uh, Sailor Moon musical and the, Sailor Moon musical, the Utsuna musical, and I think it's the Utsuna game. It's Unless like there's Sailor Moon game at the same time. Mm, there are several Sailor Moon games. But her her sense of comedic timing isn't all over the place. It's it's everywhere. So is the sort of organic way that she approaches relationships. We were originally doing this kind of focused on conditions of paradise and mm-hmm. the short stories that are with it. Mostly just because that's like a well known thing that she's done and it's available, available in English. I was really curious. Solid translation. You need what to show me you, the himbo. What was your guy's favorite? <laughs> Hmm. Well, I'm gonna take a while to think. Talking about conditions of paradise. Uh, yeah the 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 initial conditions of paradise volume. 
Oh, okay. The first one. Oh, I'd have to think about that because my answer was gonna be honey and mustard, but they don't show up. <laughs> they don't show up until later. Yeah. Hmm. I really like the uh, the central series uh, between it's uh, Sarina and Sumika. I, I realized that there is yeah. also Sumika in this one. Um, but yeah, I know that's a, a you know a, a simple answer, but looking back on it and all, I I just I really like it. Uh, I love uh, speaking of uh, how she uses comedy very well. I really like the the door motif in these stories yeah yeah definitely but yeah it's just very it's very sweet so yeah, yeah that's what that's what i'm gonna say for my answer <laughs> it's it's the simple one so if anyone wants to copy feel free but i feel i like them. that one a lot i feel like Cass is going to pick the wee girl with her younger girlfriend <laughs> I have a very specific resonance with this character, which is that (laughs) if I could pull off twin tails, I would have bitten her style years ago. So mad. I think you and Akiko Morishima are, you know, the same in that you're very much her character. Mm -hmm. No, no shame, no shame at all. Absolute zero shame. It's prob. My favorite is probably Conditions of Paradise for Paradise the Original. Mm -hmm. It's a close second in Princess Sakura. Which yeah, really yeah. Like it's a one shot. That is okay. Well never mind. Yeah. I changed my answer. I actually did like Princess Sakura more. It's, I that one's that was really charming. It's harder for me to remember Volume One because I read it, it while I was in bed, waiting for the time for it to be actually time to get up. So <laughs> I sort of read it in just like one big chunk. But oh man, yeah, the Princess Sakura was my favorite. I'm a sucker for knights and princesses. Yeah, the, the fairy tale motifs. And she doesn't do a lot of that. So I think it's very special. So <laughs> the, cute. Mm-hmm. Honorable mention has got to go to uh, the fifth chapter in the in the, in the the volume. The opposite of Sime is Protector because I found that title to be one of the funniest things that Ak- Akiko Morishima has ever written. <laughs> it's very so funny, fandom. Yeah. yeah, it's a very fandom in joke. If you don't know, dear listener, the term Sim... Is it Sime or Seme? Uh, so I think it, I think it's Seme, yeah. It um it is a kind of more of a BL thing, though it, it it's used in both. I, yeah, I was surprised to see it used in a <laughs> yeah. Yuri in a Yuri sense. It um it literally means um it literally means to attack. Yeah. So the opposite of of, of attacker is protector. Basically, was extremely right. funny to me. Yeah, that's very funny. Yeah, and again, she does it in a way that <laughs> it's very approachable, I feel, even for people not not deep in the, the fandom mind space. Actually, I wanted to talk about that one specifically because... Um, Looking that one up now. There is... Uh, the That one is a, actually a sequel to the um, the 10-year age gap one. Yeah. Um, which I found an interesting thing here that the older woman's two roommates are... Very overly involved. Yeah. One, they're overly involved. But two, (laughs) it was kind of interesting to me that, like, we had talked about a lot and that in Japan there was this sort of expectation of put on same sex behavior between two women that um, she talked about kind of wanting to push back against in some way, which was this sort of idea of this is an inherently like hypersexual thing. We have one of, and you have that really summed up in that one character who is one of her roommates and the other one being sort of this weird fawning. I'm going to use the term Sime and Uke all the time. And like, mm-hmm. definitely you can tell she's read way too much BL. And it was kind of, I felt like those were very in there for, for a reason. Like uh, I'm going to turn the mindsets that irritate me into characters so that I can make fun of this. Oh, I can see that. Yeah. She was subtweeting. Yes. Before subtweeting. <laughs> Uh, something else that's interesting is that there was a Sarah's and my anthology manga that came out like yeah I haven't read it yet uh, a couple of years ago and because that's when Sarah's and my came out <laughs> and Akiko Morishima did an illustration that is in that book she I thought that she may have done a comic but she didn't it's just a she did like a picture I haven't seen it because I need to look through the book first but. That's really neat. She's done Penguin Drum fan art as well, just like on her on her on her Twitter for herself, which is very cute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was very cute. So I look she forward to seeing. She also apparently likes Kaon. Oh well, I mean, you know, she breathes oxygen. Like, <laughs> <laughs> all right, confession time. I haven't ever seen it. 
I, I'm sorry. I it's okay. I am either. The thing okay. is, oh, I'm is not that alone. Thank God. I cannot, in my heart, believe that anyone who has seen K-On would dislike it. And if you do, I feel like that's just a personal problem. Like that sounds about it's right. Just, it's just cute and fun and sweet, and like it's just about like friendship and music and. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna watch it solely to try as hard as I can to dislike it. Oh, Alice! <laughs> Ever trying to be the curmudgeon, but I know that you like. If I things. didn't, I would just be incredibly uninteresting. I know you like things. I have never once liked things. Liking things is is revisionism and reaction. <laughs> okay, so, so true. we should probably talk about honey and mustard unless we yes. have something else to say before we move on from topic the only thing i have to say is and i'm dropping a link for you speaking of when she talked about the ol ladies in love she literally did that it's called office for it's um she has a story at least one story in um yeah that's honey and romance, mustard. Was yeah and and no the the renai joshika that is uh the translation yeah. of that title so yeah i've talked about that before there is in fact more than just her now there's an entire oh i know still sick is so good now. and the <laughs> in, whole in thing general. the whole thing is pretty good god bless so if you oh, like well, honey mustard i recommend reading the rest of the little anthology there's not much left because honey mustard was a lot of it but it's it's good yeah it's a good genre so honey and mustard is the those are like the 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 cutesy chapter name nicknames for these two characters who i have their names yeah please on my phone again we will be calling them eureka and kale we will just be calling them eureka and kale spoiler alert but their names are karashina kaori and that is the blonde one and amai mitsuki who is the dark-haired one and they Mm -hmm. are literally just eureka and kale like it's what if they were better people (laughs) if they were in a, a, a softer series it's yeah if they became if they matured in the mm-hmm. years between like being in high school versus when we meet them in the Yurikuma manga instead of like they being in a state of stunted adolescence yes but she even like reuses things i don't the volume that i was reading our first time came out in 2013 and right. the Yurikuma manga came out and or started in 2014. So this definitely came first and she reuses an entire little plot beat in the Yurikuma manga with them where she it's in Conditions of Paradise in Honey and Mustard. Mitsuki's one of her exes gets engaged to a guy that looks exactly like the male version of Mitsuki which oh, I forgot a, about that. is a thing that happens to Kale in the Yurikuma manga. That's in the omake for uh, the Yurikuma manga, right? If I remember correctly. Maybe. Yeah, I think it was, but it's mm-hmm. canon as far as I'm concerned. It is, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Oh yeah, because the daughter that is, uh, the daughter is named Kaori. Uh, no, Kaoru, that's her name. Kaoru, yeah. The daughter She's is the anime too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Honey and Mustard, I think it's so funny that she just took, like, these other characters and put them in Yurikuma, because her version of uh, Yurieka is very different from Uhara's. I do think it's interesting, though, that there is, like, a Kale in the anime, even if that Kale only exists in episode 8. <laughs> and also is implied to be a man. Yeah, well, exactly. You know, that's uh, you, you've talked about the pun before, so mm-hmm. yes, indeed. Yeah, it's very weird. And it's very interesting. It is, but yeah, I think it is interesting that Kale became such a big thing in the manga when it was just kind of a, I guess, background thing in the anime, like literal. This, this is why Eureka is like this. <laughs> yeah, well, because it's not even the same character. Like the Kare in the anime has no connection to Ginko. It's definitely same character but i think it's really interesting how um akiko morishima uses the same box motifs yes and how yeah how they're both very uh, abusive relationships at, at first in the manga at least i'm not gonna lie i think that uh morishima uses the box metaphor a little better i think it's like and i mean i've said in general like i think that the resolution of kale and yurieka's 
plot line is much better than uh or at least i like it more than the resolution of yurieka's plot line in the anime but i mean yurieka doesn't really have that much of a plot line in the anime she just sort of like yeah has her one episode and then like doesn't really factor into a lot of well as as you know as the tragic i i have kind of a air quotes around tragic villain i i i think her place in the anime is fairly solid and you know i think there are things you could say about uh the kale eureka relationship in the manga but i i like how it's settled i, I just i really like the flashback sequence the reya and everything i think the the thing is is that and abby said this in one of the manga episodes but mm-hmm. like I think Ikuhara just doesn't know, like, because he's obviously in the anime, he's trying to do a, like, Akio, but a woman right. uh, sort of plot with Yurieka's story. And he just doesn't really know how to make that work, or at least didn't when making Yurikuma. I'm not going to speak for what he could or could not do in the future in the future well and again with the comparisons between the manga and anime and the two things they did similarly uh is mm-hmm. uh how the, the idea of eureka being the one left behind like she mm-hmm. says she says that verbatim in the manga i know i think one of my favorite uh speeches about like what what happens when a love becomes a star when it's accepted you know mm-hmm. when it, it's received by that person what happens if your love is never received or accepted mm-hmm and I think that was, I think Ikuhara was, especially with the, fa- the fact that it was just Eureka and Rea versus the Re- Eureka, Kale and Rea relationship. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, she was the one left behind in, in the anime as well as the manga. And, you know, a, a commentary on, you know, if you keep holding on after that, I guess. I would have been interested to see what Ikuhara would have done with a character that was more like Kale in the manga insofar yeah. as like being like Ginko's mom and like having the relationship with Yurieka and uh Rea. I think that would be interesting because I I find myself disappointed by the use of Kare in the anime <laughs> in comparison, I guess. Yeah. I don't mind the differences, but I definitely know what you're saying. I don't dislike it. It's just like I because I like trash, I like Kale's character <laughs> in the manga. No, and fair, fair. I would just be interested to see something more like that in the world of the Yurikuma anime. I mean, I I will push back on this as the resident anime stand and say that I don't think it, there's room for it in the. Anime. Oh, I don't. I don't disagree. And wouldn't you say that's kind of taken by what is what is the girl who becomes Sumiko's girlfriend in the manga? Is it Mitsuko? Mitsuko yeah, yeah, Mitsuko. She's she's similar to uh, Kale. I feel like the appetite. Yeah. Thing. yeah yeah like in the anime there's more of a the anime is kind of playing into very different tropes and very different semiotics mm. introducing a character like Kale in the anime would kind of turn it from a story that's primarily about you know it would move it in from a story that's kind of about social methods of control and how they fuck up queer kids mm-hmm. into right. being a story that's primarily about you know personal relationships with your parents and how they fuck up queer kids yeah i don't i definitely don't disagree that like including a character like kale in the anime would take like a restructuring of the anime as it exists and i don't want that because i like the yurikuma anime yeah i i I think she's not in the anime primarily because there was no way for her to be Mm. not because like the anime wouldn't have been it, the anime wouldn't have been able to do anything interesting with her if it could. Oh have. yeah, no, I definitely believe that yeah. it could have, but yeah, it's interesting to think about. Yeah, like it, it is like a thing where, like, though reading the manga second after seeing the anime, when Kale shows up and is as soon as Kale showed up, I actually started liking the story more. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, she's it's very. I was like, oh, I get what this is now. Mm-hmm very much her story in a way it's arguably more her and yurieka's story than it is ginko and kureha's because it's the manga is very i don't know if it does this on purpose but it's very sins of the father's trope oh no I, I, that's what i like I, I mentioned before i really like the the yeah. generational thing with uh mm-hmm. ginko yeah, and you did mention that toward the beginning of the episode and it's very leaning into the idea of like in some way 
the fact that Ginkgo and Koreha are able to heal, you know, the damage that their parents put between them and come together anyway, sort of helps to fix some of the ways in which Kale screwed up everyone's life when she self-destructed after Rhea got married. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, it's doing that in... It's a really neat little arc. I, I, I like it, too. Sorry, sorry. No! That was all I had. <laughs> I agree. The thing about the difference between the Ginkgo and Lulu and Kureha storyline versus the Yurieka and Kale storyline is that Kale and Yurieka actually have a satisfactory uh, resolution <laughs> to their story. Oh! oh. <laughs> Which is like, I only, I was going to say no shade, but only a little shade to Miss Morishima, my beloved. I just like, I don't know how you feel about the like very end of the manga Nell, but Mm -hmm. the, uh, and the episode where we talk about that isn't out as of the time of recording. (laughs) I'm excited. We were not as thrilled (laughs) with the way that like with, Ginkgo and Kareha going off to Estonia to find Oh my Rhea. gosh, yeah. Everyone's alive again! I like Maybe. it, but it's, it's hard for me to, I think it's going to be hard for me to articulate <laughs> why I like it. Partially because a lot of it has to do with the, the similarities I see between the storytelling in the manga and Penguin Drum's storytelling. Interesting. But without going into that, I I, I think that no one can really deny that Ginkgo and uh, Kureha's story as, as interesting as the Sins of the Father trope is that was very much pushed aside uh, in the end for um, the Kala and Eureka. Uh, I think that's just kind of facts. Yeah. Um, yeah. The resolution of the manga is really the fact that Ginko and Kureha are about to head off and have a wonderful adventure together, but Kale's kind of begun to grow back into being a human person again who can maybe be in a relationship without self-destructing and taking everyone around her with her. And Yurieka's actually being appreciated for the presence she has been in Kale's life. Right. For maybe the first time. I think the reason it works a little bit better for me, at least to the point where I'm not <laughs> super, um, ups- not upset, but, you know, kind of pouty about it, uh, which I-, I would be in other cases, is I guess the use of, and I believe this is in the anime too, where um, the world changes in time with your love. And I feel like there's a very, very much with the the idea that was it or was it not the real Rhea that Kale and Eureka got to talk to? That the magical real, realism there and the fact that, again, I don't want to do spoilers since this isn't, uh, you haven't come out with it yet, but the fact that we see Kureha's mom and we see uh, well, we can, uh, Lulu's uh, brother. This will come out after we have put out the last volume episode, okay, so we can, we can do full spoilers for the Yurikuma manga. Okay, so, yeah, so the, the fact that people are alive again, or... Uh, presumably were, were they ever alive were they dead i like that that it's it feels to me like a this was a result of the choices the good decisions i guess that ginkgo and kareha made and that you know to taking taking passage on that flight i guess i really like the use of planes which an interesting addition the plane thing is kind of nice I, I yeah even not liking the end i did like the whole the plane thing at at the very, very bitterest events. Yeah, so like the idea that we're all kind of on our own different flights um, and that they they might cross over again and they might not. Like, I think we can probably confidently say that Eureka and Akale's flight has has ended. They don't need to continue traveling. They just need to, you know, they had, they had to realize what they had all along is very much <laughs> their story. But the fact that the world is changing in time to Kreia and Ginko's uh, not giving up on love. I, I, I kind of, I, I do like like the that even if it is very tied up in a bow i guess you could say i'm prop i think i maybe would have liked it better if if instead of them going to estonia because they (laughs) think they found raya Mm -hmm. if they were just going to estonia because that's where raya took her when took kareha when she was a kid and like they just wanted to reconnect with that i I don't know, like just the <laughs> the Raya maybe not being dead thing is just kind of like weird and strange. And it is, I agree. I mean, it, it, I think the real thing we're not talking about here 
mm. that sets the tone for how you receive the ending is how we respond to not Rhea being alive, because that is a lot more open, a lot more, like, you know, nebulously magical, and more to, hey, why is Milne alive? I I said it in the episode for the last volume, but I think that Milne being alive actually makes way more sense and can be explained I mean, within the text of the manga. <laughs> it can be explained, but that's not the actual why I'm asking there, because, like... <laughs> You can explain a lot of things mechanically. Thematically, why is Milne alive? It feels mm-hmm. very, like... He's alive because Lulu got to be with Milne again at the end of the anime. Yeah, yeah. Themat- thematically is the question. <laughs> yeah, like, it's it's not really a thing that feels like it fits the place where her arc seemed to be heading in the manga, at least for me. Because her arc in the manga seemed a lot more like confronting the idea that you were just a kid and the fact that you lost this person close to you in a very intensely violent way is not your fault and you do not have to shoulder the responsibility for that and you can treasure the memories you have of your time together and it kind him being alive does not undo that development in any way but it feels like a weird undermining of the central message there for me because it's like for the vast majority of us when we lose someone in our life who we were close to and we feel responsible for it having that personal growth does not bring them back and it's okay for it to happen in a story but the fact that that happens and then Rhea happens right after another kind of begs the question of like is the emotional journey these characters have gone through kind of like meaningless because it turns out that if Lulu had just stayed in her house for like another afternoon <laughs> she presumably would have run into her grandparents picking up Milne from the hospital. <laughs> right. Like it it does kind of like it does kind of change how you read the manga for better and for worse. And I don't think it makes it bad, but it does that bit is kind of I think why I negatively responded to Rhea potentially being alive. Because as a plot point, it's it's kind of utilitarian if you look at it on its own. She might not really be alive. It's purely a reason for Ginkgo and Kureha to get on a plane together. And it's also a way for the manga to kind of give us a nice little bow on Kali and Yurieka's relationship. Because the two of them are the people who you think would be even more invested in this being true and they're both very skeptical, but also we get the beat where uh, Yurieka asks Kale, oh yeah, can you tell, does she look like a bear to you? That would be an easy way to tell if this is Rhea, and Kale explains that she hasn't been seeing people as bears, kind of showing that she's moved fully into the world Yurieka lives in. Yeah, I very much still, whenever I get to the, oh, I don't see bears anymore thing, uh, it still does throw me a bit, uh, even though I do do think I know what it's getting at. Yeah, Yeah. the idea there is, like, the two of them are finally existing together in the same way that Kureha and Ginkgo are. Right. (laughs) That's, of course, my brain is like, well, okay, but what does it mean that Ginkgo and Kureha now both see bears? I... Okay, I have a theory on this, if you will. I'd like to hear it, yes. Okay, so it's a maturity thing. Mm, I can see that. Yurieka kind of lives in this very straightforward adult world, is the best way I can put it. She relates to love as a adult, as someone who is kind of... She has a lot of very adult concerns with her relationship, and she's kind of been a parent to Kale as much as she's been a lover, or more so. So Kale's character development kind of... She does not need to learn to meet Kale where she is. She's been indulging Kale for years. Kale needs to learn to meet Yurieka where she is. So rather than both of them having like a fully adieu the way that Kureha and Ginko do, Kale is the one whose character development is marked by moving forward. With Kureha and Ginko, rather than... Ginko is still kind of a kid. And the shit she's going through is stuff that she is not going to be able to deal with all at once. It will probably take her some time and a little bit of growing up to finally come to terms with it all. So rather than try and, like, put her in a position where, like, 
their being together is contingent on Ginkgo fully fixing everything that she's going through, Kareha pulls herself fully into accommodating Ginkgo and trying to see the world the way she sees it. And that's reflected in her being able to see all of the bears. It's not a perfect metaphor, but it it's kind of like a thing that I've been thinking about off and on lately that, you know, when you're younger, especially, sometimes it's better to meet someone halfway by not trying to snap them out of every wrong belief they have, but instead trying to meet them and pull them closer. You don't need to change them and fix all of their problems. You just need to be there for them and with them so that you can ride it out together. These are some themes that also come up in Conditions of Paradise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, li- I like that way of looking at it, though. That's real. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that is a good, that's a good segue to the the main story of Conditions in Paradise, for sure. As well as, um, I'm trying to remember the other couple that, are there, is it another age, it's not the, um, the age gap couple, but it is a age gap couple, the, uh. Nobu and, uh, oh my god, I've forgotten her name. The weeb and her. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. I should, my, my, my heroine Shinobu and her girlfriend, Yes. Yes. Where the central conflict is all dealing with, like, how each character approaches the idea of maturity and sort of the playful subversion of even though Shinobu looks very childlike and they even draw... Morishima even draws, like, a couple of the panels so that you can see their height difference and they look like a mother and child Mm -hmm. because of the way that Shinobu dresses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting to compare them to when they were younger. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah. have like they have a role reversal as they have <laughs> yes. gotten older. It's done well. O- honestly, like probably owing to Shinobu going <laughs> to high school and uh or not the other one. Uh, yeah, it's Shinobu. Oh, yeah, which one's which? Shinobu is Twin Twails. Okay, okay, no, the other one. Um yes. what was her name? That's the problem. I keep forgetting. Let me I can I can find their names real quick cuz I have right. uh, I have conditions of paradise open up in comicsology. No, I, I believe, uh, looking at this, uh, I don't think Twin Tails is Shinobu. I believe Shinobu's the younger one. Right. Lala? Yeah, Lala is the older one and Shinobu yes. is the younger one. Okay, uh, that's my, my foolish brain. You are. I apologize to my idiot Twin Tail Queen. I think, like, the real fun of that manga chapter for me is actually that they, Morishima just pulls the Uno reverse card at the very last minute because you think that it's leading up to the idea that, like, this is a full world reversal and Shinobu is now the the real senpai and she's <laughs> right. the older uh, Lala. And it's actually, no, in point of fact, Lala is actually fairly mature and incredibly sweet and caring and notices things that yeah. Shinobu doesn't. It's just that her maturity is kind of less expressed through... She's very you know, childish in the way she dresses and acts, but she's also deeply emotionally mature in a way that you would expect from someone who is, you know, almost 30. Yeah. It's it's a very sweet chapter. I like it a lot. And I think that Morishima really likes to play with that sort of, the sort of ideas of like couples who are not the same age, but kind of end up being the same age, like in terms of their relative maturity to each other yeah that's a good way of putting it mm-hmm. yeah it's a, it is a fun one i had a realization about morishima yeah mm. as i was looking through some of the supplement decks thinking about what else we could talk about regard oh, i just kind of get all of her down and i have you read any of happy picture diary it was which it was the comic she did as a feature for a niece for a while i have yeah all of her autobiographical stuff kind of gets jumbled together in my head, but I, I read it and I realized like that solo, like um, lesbian solo, a couple others. They had this like vibe, and I couldn't place it. But now I finally can, and it, it's ruining me. It's <laughs> like, what if Alison Bechdel knew what Moe meant? <laughs> oh, my God. oh, that's very. Because I've been yeah. reading, I've been reading uh, Dykes to Watch Out for also recently. <laughs> Dear listener. If you have ever, heard, if you know who Alison Bechdel is, 
and you have not or want to or have read Dykes Look Up For, you will probably like Happy Picture Diary because it has, there are elements of it that have very much that energy. It is very much like, I joke, but I'm also not joking because, wow, she is like, the thing that I wanted most out of a lot of Yuri stuff, which was to reflect a queer experience that I could understand or at least sort of like that felt tangible outside of the realm of just this fiction and wow does she do it it's there like she she's literally like she's literally setting her stories in our world yeah happy picture diary is a good one (laughs) that's such i really like your comparison actually i'm gonna have to do what if Allison? What if Allison Bechdel knew what a waifu was? Yeah. What if <laughs> I will uh, definitely check out Happy Picture Diary later? Yeah, and I think it is based. Uh, it's a, it's a series, but it's based more on uh, her experiences. Was this one? Was that the one done for Anis? Did you uh, mention which magazine that was from? Yeah. yeah, that's the one that she did for Anis. Okay, awesome. And if I'm to believe Morishima, nineties <laughs> Japan was absolutely riddled. With goth lesbians who smoke a lot. Oh, I can only hope. Is that wish fulfillment? Or, yeah, I know. That's so hard to tell. If we are, if she is to be, be believed, they were endemic and, and everywhere. <laughs> I have had that's wonderful. Almost the exact same thought about like reading Dykes to watch out for about like <laughs> they're they're the gays. They're everywhere. The lady gays. Well, that's so interesting. This is uh, very much. Uh, her her um, autobiographical manga, whether it is Happy Picture Diary, which is more based on her experiences rather than the actual write-ups. But the uh, the uh, the lesbian and uh, queer woman culture in like 90s Japan is very, very interesting to me. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right. Do we have anything else? I mean, I could talk about her forever, but... Is there anything else in particular that you you wanted to bring up? I don't think so. Like, I, I think I'm pretty happy with, I, we went on for a while, but I really like the comparisons between, you know, her version uh, and Ikuhara's version. Yeah. I think we went into that well. Yeah. Yeah. Was there any of her work that's not Conditions for Paradise that you would want to recommend to somebody who's listening and it wants to kind of see what's there? Yeah. So um, Alice brought up Office uh, Romance Women's Division, and that's <laughs> back when Seven Seas hadn't uh, pulled her, and you know that they, they do their little monthly poll, and I'm I'm always saying, please bring this one over because it is a uh, <laughs> a, a two volume series that you can read um, on its own uh, about uh, two coworkers falling in love, but having uh, there there are a few other side stories in that series, uh, one of them being Honey and Mustard, and then just, again just kind of it's a, it's a very cute series where you know, uh, uh, it is very much the office ladies in love, the, the proto office ladies in love. <laughs> I have a question that is more for me, but mm-hmm. it might be interesting before we let up. Have you heard of and or read anything by Milk Mornaga? I have. Yeah. You know, just being in the Yuri fandom for so oh, long. Oh, finally. Someone just actually read her. And I do like her. I feel like that's, uh, I feel like now uh, that might be a controversial thing to say, but uh, I have, I, I got, I bought Girlfriends when it first came out in English and I still have it on my shelf. I was very shocked to discover that like basically no one I know had read, had read Girlfriends. That is surprising. Not like, even I, me. I, huh. Yeah, it was big when it came out. Uh, I, I can understand some of the, like the, the early 2000s uh, Yuri anime, like maybe Shimon or... Uh, Strawberry Panic being kind of left to the archives of time, but <laughs> Strawberry Panic is one I have always thought about watching and never have. <laughs> I'm really not sure how it would hold up. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and normally I ask this at the top of the show, but I forgot. So why don't we end with who's your favorite character in Yurikuma? Oh, that's so hard, especially with the anime and manga. You can pick a different one for anime and manga if that makes it easier. Yeah, I think um, I think in the manga it is probably Ginko, uh, which may be an, an, an odd choice. But like I said, the uh, the sins of the father storyline really did hit me, um, hit me hard in the manga. And I... I, I like her her struggles, uh, and you know I like that she has a, a happy ending. And we talked a little bit about how 
Lulu's journey of, you know, realizing you are a kid and that this isn't your fault and you don't have to take this on, uh, how that kind of parallel skin goes. Um, mm-hmm. so I, I really like her. Uh, obviously I love the adults. I love Eureka. Um, I think both Eureka and Ginkgo, because they, they both kind of have the front and center, like Eureka has her flashback chapter, mm-hmm. which kind of tells us uh, what was happening with the adult trio. And, you know, Ginkgo's experiences are the impetus for the the younger trio. So I would say Ginkgo in the manga. I'd like Ginkgo in the anime as well, but probably Kureha in the anime. Nice. Yeah. I mean, like, it's hard to choose. They're all it is, really yeah. good. Honestly. I, I would be yeah, I would be safe saying I love I love them all and I love any of them. But mm-hmm. all right. Well, mm-hmm. if that is all that we've got for tonight, listeners, if you would like to follow us on Twitter, you can do that at Utsnacast. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, you can do that at Impandanata. Alice, where can people find you online? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at Lyrewolf, L-Y-R-E-W-U-O-F. I have a couple of new podcasts that are are cooking in the podcast oven right now. I don't think either of them will have an episode out by the time that this goes out. But just, you know, keep your keep your ears out. Keep your eyes eyes peeled. Uh, Cass, where can people find the podcast that you and Alice do? I'm glad you asked. You can find Alice and I's podcast Big Steppy uh, over at Twitter on st- uh, at SteppyCast. And online in multiple locations. As of this episode, I believe some episodes are still down at time of recording, but we hope to have them back up soon. All right. And Nell, should you wish to be found, where could people find <laughs> you online? Uh, you can pr- pretty much find me uh, everywhere with um, Nellfest, my, my, my screen name taken from uh, JRPG Tales of Legendia, because that, that's who I am. Uh, so N-E-L-F-E-S. And I'm on Twitter at Nellwellfell. Oh, that's very pleasant to say. <laughs> yeah, it is. All right. And if you would like to support this show, you can do that at utanicast.com. Next, after this, it's finally time for Wolf's Rain. Awoo. We will awoo for sure. I have been working on trying to play the version of Stray that is in the opening. Oh, please, please. And if I can, please. I might end up sending you a file yes. that is me doing that yes song. yes oh, i need to look that up right now it's oh, that'd be so good. Many memories. yes i'm yes. i'm very excited to talk about wolf's reign i need to rewatch episodes for it because i watched them a while back and now it is finally time to talk about them but clearly uh clearly when we next come visit you you and i will have to marathon wolf's reign because i haven't seen it since i was like a kid <laughs> And that's all of the things that I'm going to plug right now because everyone else had dinner before they recorded, but I, a fool, did not. So I'm very hungry. Uh, Gal, gal. Gal, gal, gal. Look for the... Oh, Alice and Cass, I added something new to the soundboard, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. I just Uh-oh. want you, you just get to have that sword of Damocles above you until I decide to deploy it when you're not ready. Shana, that ain't no crime. <laughs>